Happy Thursday. Welcome into NSN Daily. Alex Margulies, Chris Murray, Anthony Resnick behind the scenes. Uh, plenty to talk about today. Coach Steve Alford stops by and talk about some insight into MJ. Michael Jordan from a legend in his own right and Steve Alford, but it's an incredible conversation that we've had with him this week. Uh, we're going to get through our GOAT challenge. Once again, we're in the 8-9 bracket. Now Kirk Snyder versus Lane Spina. So two completely opposite types of athletes. Better no bet. Raiders, Rams, stadium tickets, and uniforms. We're going to kick that around so you like. Exploring our backyard, Sand Mountain, one of the greatest places uh, you can actually visit here in the Silver State. And it's only like an hour and a half away from northern Nevada. But our NSN Celebrity Beer Pong Tournament has now down to just six. We're on our way to the Final Four. We had two matches yesterday, two more today. Alex, Jake Dalton knocks off Dana Beer's performance by Jake. Dana came out and his shot, he said he had kind of altered his mechanics going into it. Uh, he had the, the teardrop going. The rainbow was, was filling cups in that first game. He looked like he was going to steamroll Jake. And then uh, Dalton battled back in game two and, and then wiped him out in game three. It was, it was a surprising uh, result. Jake was pumped. And uh, now the first member of our final four, a really kind of hearty uh, performance from him to knock out a guy that basically drinks beer for a living. Chris, we expected nothing less out of the Olympian. Yeah, I mean, Dana came out, like Alex said, really, really. Anybody has finished off a round, and Jake was able to rebound, keep his composure, keep his poise, and understand that there were two matches left if he could force a, a, a game three, and he did a really good job and uh, came out victorious. So uh, congratulations to him, and uh, moving on to the Final Four, a big, big deal, I'm sure. All right, here is Jake Dalton after his victory over Dana Beers. Jake Dalton, the first member of our final four after a thrilling come-from-behind victory over Dana Beers, a barstool sports. Jake, uh, you knew this was going to be stiff competition. Dana, uh, the founder of Zillion Beers, uh, he can put them down like nobody else here in North America, uh, yet you were able to defend Northern Nevada and punch your ticket to the final four. Uh, what did it take to get this done? Again, a lot of luck, I think, <laughs> especially with uh, someone named Zillion Beers, you know. Uh, but, no, it was fun. Good good competition. He came out and just completely smashed me in the first game. So, I guess I had to try and uh, focus up a little bit more on the, on the next two. Jakey, regroup after that first game. Obviously, Dana came out <clears throat> firing. You win the next two. You had your back against the wall in that second game, but still pulled that out. Entering this... You were a 14 to one odd. You just eliminated the top seed at a five to one. I mean, you got to feel confident as the first player in this final four going into next week. Uh, only the first player. Cause we're probably one of the first games. So trying to stay feeling good about it, but not too uh, overconfident, you know, we're having some fun with it and uh, it's always fun to be an underdog. So. Jake, you've competed in two Olympic games. You were a participant in American Ninja warrior. Did you feel like you had to draw from just your mental focus and the way that you, as a competitor, have had to kind of channel out some of the pressure over the years in order to nail those shots there down the stretch? Yeah, I think a little bit, actually. Uh, it's kind of funny. You just get in the rhythm of just kind of shooting. But once it comes down to it and they're, they're kicking your butt a little bit, you got to focus up and, and uh, really start focusing on the shots you're going to take and be a little strategic about it. So uh, ended up getting lucky. You are alive for another week. How will you be celebrating and how are you going to refocus yourself as you can potentially make a run at a championship in this beer pong tournament? 
yeah, I'll probably uh, finish up some more Battleborn beer after this one, and then uh, probably relax for a little bit, you know, a little, little sore from uh, the past couple of games. But, yeah, no, just relax, have some fun, and I look forward to whoever's going to be in the next game. All right, so speaking of that, it's either Nick Vizikas, the all-time – uh, one of the all-time greats at Nevada, his his jersey hanging from the Raptors inside Waldor Event Center. He had an impressive showing in Game One. Austin Corbett uh, from from this same neck of the woods as you. You're from Spanish Springs. He's from Reed. Could be a, a Sparks showdown. Uh, how excited are you at the prospect of playing one of those two guys? Uh, that's awesome. Everybody in this whole tournament's been awesome. So uh, I think either of those guys are probably gonna. Give me a good challenge for the game, but uh, it, it'll be fun. Be kind of cool to catch up with them and see how they're doing. Jake Dalton, punching your ticket to the Final Four. Congratulations, man, and we will see you next week. Thanks, guys. We'll see you. So Dalton vaults himself into the Final Four. Uh, on the other side, though, I mean, the late night one was, was pure gold. I mean, Nick Fizikas taking on Austin Corbett. You've got the young Corbett versus the veteran Fizikas. And I'm sorry, guys. Nick just reminded me of the way that he would step up at the free throw line back in the mid-2000s, Chris. When the, when the pressure was on the line, he just bl he never blinked. He just, he just calmly shot and then knocked off Austin Corbett 2-0. Yeah, I mean, he was in a really difficult position in that first game. He had to hit four straight cups to be able to uh, move on to an overtime, which he did. And then in overtime, he had to hit a cup to move on to a second overtime, which he did. Like you said, I mean, just clutch performance from Nick there. And I think at that point, Austin was like, well, the heck with this. I'm not – we're not going to be able to pull this thing out if he just hits uh, the shot every time he needs one. So, uh, yeah, Nick's uh, back was definitely against the wall early, but he was able to rally back and then put the pressure back on Austin and able to, to sweep it. It was 2-0, but that was a very competitive game. Uh, Nick just hit the big shots when they needed to be hit. Alex, yeah, I, I really felt for Austin, guys. I mean, he was as consistent as anyone we have seen in this tournament. Um, really impressive showing. He did everything he could to take out Fizikas, but – uh, Nick just kind of had that eye of the tiger. I mean, as soon as the, the lights kind of turned on and, and the pressure was mounting and he was at the free throw line and, and had to hit buckets, he was calling his shots. I mean, he was calling it as soon as it left his hands. Uh, that's kind of how smooth he was feeling uh, into those overtime games. Unbelievable job by him. And, and I still think he's the guy to beat. I mean, those long levers, I think we, we suspected the height, him standing right on top of the cups with that 6'11 frame and those long arms, that would be – uh, a tough matchup, and he has certainly shown uh, that when he can hit his stride, um, he is really tough to beat. Here's Nick Vizikas after he beat Austin Corbett to punch his ticket to the Final Four. All right, Nick Vizikas has punched his ticket to the Final Four, an epic battle against Austin Corbett in the second round. Uh, Nick, talk to me about that first game. I mean, you go down and have to hit four cups in a row after Austin uh, put you on the ropes. Then he gets ahead of you in the first overtime, and you're able to equalize to force a double OT where you eventually prevail and then take game two. Uh, that was some pretty great competition. Yeah, uh, obviously playing this game, you know, I haven't played for a long time, but it's definitely a game of runs. And uh, if you can get hot with the ball back and, you know, obviously at the end there when you just get to keep shooting and shooting, you kind of catch a rhythm, and that's kind of what I did. And uh, – it carried right into the second game where I got hot from the beginning, got ahead early, and was able to sort of just finish him. You were a 20-to-1 odd, according to Vegas Chris Murray. And I have to say, that is the second-to-last one in this tournament. Second week in a row, you haven't been very favored coming into this. We're now heading to the elite – or the final four, excuse me. Uh, what does it mean to just keep dancing? 
Yeah, obviously I'm here to uh, prove Murray wrong. You know, it's always fun to bet on the underdog. So, uh, you know, hopefully at the end I can hold up the championship and me and Murray can have a one-on-one. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to figure out if anyone will actually take that bet. Like, if anyone wants to take me on that 20-to-1, like, I'm totally, I'm totally betting on that uh, with you, Nick. Uh, what was it like getting a chance to just kind of meet Austin Corbett, a guy that's from northern Nevada, played it in Nevada, of course, and then now with the uh, L.A. Rams? Uh, I'm sure you guys haven't had much interaction, but to get to kind of get introduced to Austin and play him in something like this. Yeah, super cool. You know, like, uh, obviously, you know, I was able to play against Kendall last week, who was, you know, an athlete of sort of not my generation, but still playing. And now Austin was kind of fun, you know, uh, you know, with the times the way it is, you know, I talked to my buddies and my family, like, who are you playing? I said, Austin Corbett. And, oh, man, he plays for the LA Rams. And so kind of cool. And, uh, you know, definitely sort of a, you know, maybe a friendship or something that can lead down the line. Like I said, would love to definitely check out one of his games. You know, I got a, I got kids that would probably love to do it. And uh, hopefully one day I can take him up on that. You are staying alive, sir. You're moving on to another week. How will you be preparing for the final four? And how do you plan on celebrating this win? Man, uh, probably maybe get a little bit more practice in. But, uh, you know, I didn't practice much outside of, uh, you know, after I was done eating dinner tonight. But uh, things are starting to ramp up a little bit. So I might have to get, a, you know, a couple of days in where I'm shooting a little bit. Uh, Nick, apologies to your wife. Uh, she, I know you're going to be kind of uh, off dad duty. I also apologize to you because I have a feeling uh, this is going to come back on you at some point. Uh, and you're probably going to have to make up for, for a lot of lost time. So uh, thank you. And uh, I'm sorry. It's all good, man. Uh, we're in it. You know, now I'm going to have to have a pep talk with her to say, hey, man, we're in the final four. We just got to make this run. And it's only two more weeks of this thing. And then we can just be crowned the champs. All right. Nick Vizikas in the final four playing Jake Dalton next week, next Wednesday night. We will see you guys back then. So one side of two of the members of the Final Four have, uh, have made their way through, Jake Dalton and Nick Fizikas. Uh, two matchups today, and let's bring in one of those competitors, our own Nevada Sportsnet's Julian Delgadio, who knocked off Annalise Talavera in the first round. But now, uh, Alex, Julian draws a monster in Keith Fuchs in the second round. Yeah, I mean, Keith was one of the most consistent performers in that first game. Uh, really impressive. Uh, he's a guy that has been on the collegiate stage and not only uh, f uh, basketball, but football as well. He's a, a, a highly decorated high school athlete as well. So I know he's taking it seriously. I know he wants to advance to a Final Four. Got to tell you, though, Julian, as we welcome you in, uh, we had a little tune-up game last night. And Julian was sniping. I, I think he kind of slow played us a little bit in that first game against Quinton, either that or his training with Carson Bushjos has really paid off. Uh, what's your confidence level going into this game, which is going to start up right here at 4.30? First and foremost, I'm not going to apologize for a win. You know, I'm just going to go on record and say I'm just not going to apologize for a win. If I was going to beat Keith Fuchs, uh, you know, that would be monumental. I, I'm trying to not overthink it. You know, you got to stay loose on a game day like this. Be where your feet are. I know TJ Bruce likes to really harp on that type of stuff, but uh, – yeah, if, if I could win that first game, get that under my belt, get the confidence going, I think Keith's going to be in some trouble. Uh, Chris Murray, have you ever interviewed someone who has put that many sports statements and, uh, and jargon into literally a sentence and a half? I actually tuned out. I wasn't listening. But I did get <laughs> a, a text earlier today from former Nevada assistant coach Anthony Ruda, who says he wants to place a bet with me plus 260 on Julian. So he has a support. Oh, wow. 
in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I think the reason he did do that is because I did say on Twitter yesterday, if Julian wins, I will streak naked under the Reno arch. So we have that. We have Alex potentially donating $1,000 uh, to the food bank. So, I mean, there's a lot uh, riding on, on uh, Julian. I mean, he could really put both of us in some precarious positions if he's able to win this thing. <laughs> I'll keep my fingers crossed, and I hope the weather's warm. But, uh, no, I, I really think that I have a legitimate shot at this whole thing, especially – you know, playing last night, I'm going to get a couple more warm-up games under my belt before this 4:30 matchup against Keith. But, you know, last week he looked good. He, he really downed Alice Cook in that sixth man region. I obviously came from the heartthrob region. So, I think this game easily can go down to the shooter-shoot region. You know what I mean? The shooter-shoot region, yeah. Julian, so let me ask you this. When, when it comes to the, the pressure cooker that is this tournament, we've seen uh, many competitors, including my, myself, fall victim to it. How do you feel like uh, – what can you draw on in your experience as someone that has never competed athletically at any level, including high school? Like, where will you draw, um, you know, the confidence when you have to kind of perform under pressure? You know, I was really inspired by Nick Fazekas and that win that he had over Corbett yesterday. Um, he just kind of locked in. And I'm, I, I got to just drown out the noise, you know. I, I got to – I don't want the apartment complex looking. I don't want to hear what they're saying. You know, I don't want to think about the, the room surrounding me. It's just me, a ping pong ball, and that red solo cup. And, uh, you know, if I can concentrate on those three things, I, I think I'm going to be in really good shape. Yep, and I thought my initials were BS, but we're getting plenty of it right now. <laughs> we, uh, we'll have the matchup between Julian Delgado and Keith Fuchs on our Facebook page, uh, Nevada Sportsnet, at 4.30, followed by Garrett Yergoyan taking on Corey Herzog. And uh, I want to get, Alex, your quick thoughts on this before we get a break. Uh, got a lot of, lot to get to today. Um, Herzog just seems like a dark horse right now. I mean, he, but, but he really shined in the first round. Yeah, I don't think anyone expected him to do what he did. But, you know, Julian talked to Ian Russell last week, and he said Corey's just sneaky good at everything. And so he's not surprised that he was able to do what he did. He was calm. He was cool. He was collected. He was unfazed after Anthony Martinez forced a game three. Uh, Garrett was unfazed as well against Conrad Schmidt. I mean, he had to hit a cup just kind of like Fazekas did a force in overtime. He won in overtime. So he's uh, been able to perform under pressure in this tournament as well. Uh, it shapes up to be an incredible nightcap this evening at 7.30 on our Facebook page. 4.30 and 7.30. Two more tickets will be punched to our Final Four, and two more hearts will be broken. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, Nevada Head Men's Basketball Coach Steve Alford stops by to tell some stories about the great one, Michael Jordan. All right, welcome back to NSN Daily. Alex Margulies, Chris Murray, and Julian Delgado joined by Nevada Head Men's Basketball Coach Steve Alford. Coach, uh, the last time we talked to you, you said the man shed was kind of turning into a she shed. Have you been able, able to fend off uh, the advancing forces down there in, in your garage? No, uh, as you know, it, when wife and daughter, that, that, that's a hard one to fend off. So I just I take my time in here whenever I can. But I did figure out just through the pandemic, there's a lock on this door. So <laughs> I can come in and lock myself in here and then at least it deters them a little bit. Everyone's kind of been watching The Last Dance, the documentary on the Bulls and Michael Jordan uh, with no sports going on. That's kind of been our one salvation. I guess, uh, how have you uh, taken that in and watched that, knowing that you were an Olympic teammate of Michael Jordan in 1984 and won a gold medal beside him? Yeah, it's been incredible, Chris. I, I mean, I've, I've been glued to it, you know, taping it, re-watching, you know, all those things, because it just brings back memories of, you know, my playing days and my early coaching days. And... You know, I can remember taking my two sons to see him play right in his heyday um, there at Chicago State, not Chicago State, United then. 
um, taking pictures of the statue, Mike coming out afterwards and getting a picture with my sons. But, you know, just seeing that stuff, like how he deals with people after the games and how that happened 82 times, you know, whether it was on a home game or a road game. And I do, when people say, you know, he just got inundated with stuff that about nine years in, he'd had it and he'd won three in a row and he just wanted to get out. I, I totally believe that because firsthand I got to see it just with taking my two sons and the game I took my two sons, we, there was probably eight other people <laughs> that were waiting to, that he had to meet and greet and spend time with. And he always did it graciously. And that's not easy to do because sometimes you're coming off wins. Sometimes you're coming off losses, good games, bad games. Uh, but it's been a great documentary. I was talking to Buzz Peterson today, who was his college roommate and a good friend of mine to this day. And, you know, we were having some fun with it. And you know, I told Buzz, I said, yeah, we've only got two episodes left. And I'm, I haven't seen it in the first eight. I'm betting in the last two, we don't see his last college game. I'm just betting the last college game is not on his documentary. What happened in his last college game? I also have another follow-up question because, you know, they really delve such, you know, so, so deep into Michael Jordan and, you know, how he just practices and his work ethic. And as someone who shared, you know, the, just the practice floor with him and to see the intensity that he brought every day, I mean, how much has that kind of affected you now as a head coach, just, you know, pushing players to, to be better? Yeah, and that's, I think, something that has really been good coming out about how competitive he was. Uh, in the Olympics, I can remember when we – Chris Mullen was a great shooter uh, on that team. Uh, I was on that team because of shooting, because a lot of European teams still zoned at that time. And I played for coach, and coach was the Olympic coach, so I could help, I could kind of help navigate waters for these other stars of, of being coached by Coach Knight. So I can remember Michael coming up to Chris and I after almost every practice saying, hey, I want to – whether it's horse or some kind of shooting game. And, you know, I always loved it because I knew he wasn't going to beat me in a shooting game. And so I, we just have fun doing shooting games. But as you then forward the, the tape, he was doing that for a reason. He picked Chris and I for a reason. And he knew going from college to the NBA, the one thing he really needed to work on and get consistent with was shooting. And, man, did he get consistent with shooting throughout his career. And now, you, you know, 10 years later after that, I, I was telling my dad, I'm like, yeah, he got me. I should have went up to him, wanted to play him one-on-one because that would have helped my defense and everything else. Uh, but he was just like that. He, he loved challenges, and he took challenges on all the time, and that's part of what made him great. So you kind of alluded to Michael's last college game. It was in the NCAA tournament. NC was a one seed against your four-seeded Hoosiers. You guys won that game. Did you ever get a chance to kind of talk a little trash with Mike after that? Like, hey, remember – we knocked you guys out of the tournament. Did you ever go there with him? No, I've sent him some texts every now and then. And uh, I actually sent him the other day through Buzz. I took it through Buzz Peterson. And, you know, I was, ta- I was talking to him. It was a picture of me shooting and him contesting my shot. And I just sent that picture. And Buzz said, hey, he said, you, knew, you know I blocked that. And I said, no, 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 no. I dropped 27 that game. So, you know that shot went in. But, you know, that was a game where we, we really – Coach Knight did a phenomenal job in our preparation because they were a press team and we threw over the press and um, we kind of got the ball in bounds and they threw over the press to me and I got a lot of easy jump shots in that game. And, and then Michael got in foul trouble, which helped as well. But um, that team was, in my opinion, that was the best team in college basketball that year. And 
I, Mike, when anytime I talk smack to him, he's like, yeah, you guys beat us. And then two days later, you lose to a Virginia team that finished seventh in our league. And so he's like, you know, that was a fluke game when that happens. And <laughs> it, might be, it might be a little bit of truth to that. You look at those 1984 Olympics, that team had four double-digit scorers. As you guys went perfect through the bracket, it was Michael Jordan, Chris Mullen, Patrick Ewing, and yourself. So very good company there uh, with three other Hall of Famers. Uh, when did you know Michael Jordan was different? And did you ever think that he would go down as the greatest of all time? Did you have that feeling about him even back when he was in college? Yeah, and I've been talking to my, my, my sons and daughter and their spouses and even Tanya about it that when you're going through it, you knew he was the best on our team. Uh, but, you know, you got Patrick Ewing, you got Chris Mullen. Uh, I mean, you, you got Sam Perkins. I mean, there's a lot of incredible players on that team to begin with. And, yeah, he was the best, but you're not thinking Air Jordan, Own Shoe, Icon, win six finals and win them all. You, you just, you know, you, you weren't thinking about that. Had I thought about that, I'd had him sign more than just a pair of shoes. I'd, he'd been signing – for weeks on end because those things are worth something now. But um, you knew how competitive he was. You know, he played cards all the time, you know. USC's campus and the guards had a, a six, six people in the guard suite and then there were six bigs in the big suite. And he's always challenging guys to card games. And, you know, so he just – anything that he could bet on and compete on, you saw that in him. But we had no idea that – you know, there'd be a silhouette of him and he would be that good. Um, but each year, each year out of the Olympics, you're like, okay, you know, something's going on here with him. But you knew he was the best on our team for sure. Now, you know, there's always the conversation, him or Kobe, him or LeBron, you know, you, you throw the three of those together. And it was awesome to hear, you know, Kobe Bryant talk about how he learned everything from Michael Jordan. But since Michael Jordan, who, who would you say is that one player that, that just really kind of not only transcended the game, but, but, you know, brought it into this, this new millennium? Yeah, you know, through the 90s, you can't, you can't compare the 90s to anybody other than MJ. And, uh, and he missed a year and a half. <laughs> he went and played baseball. And when you talk to a lot of the experts, they said if he had stuck with baseball, um, he could have made a living. He could have made it to the big leagues, which is – that's unheard of to – you know, that you don't – you might have played in high school, but not to play in college, not to play professionally. And then, you know, all of a sudden he did what he did. You know, and I think he knocked in, what, 50 runs in the year he had. And, and a lot of people were talking about that. That obviously wasn't his sport, but it speaks the volumes of the kind of athlete he was. And – but I grew up with Matt – with Doc J and Magic and Bird. Those were the guys that, you know, got me really watching basketball in the, in the 70s and – when all of a sudden Doc J became got to the Sixers in the NBA out of the ABA, uh, and then he kind of passed it on to, to Bird and Magic, and, and that re, rekindled the Celtic Laker thing that it kind of had died out a little bit. That rekindled that, which was one of the great rivalries in, in our sport, basketball. Uh, and then came Mike, and you know, he'd get through the Pistons. Uh, obviously, Isaiah, very, very good. And once that happened, then Mike took off and I think took things to a whole other level of being able to win championships and, oh, by the way, be the best on the planet. And sometimes best on the planet didn't equate to titles. Will Chamberlain might have changed the game more than anybody that's ever played this game. And when you look at his numbers, just stupid numbers, the numbers that will never happen again, but the championships didn't always come that way. And so to have the numbers like Mike 
and the championships, that set a high bar. But you've had guys now that have carried that torch. Kobe came along, and um, obviously he'd tell you that he mirrored everything about MJ, and MJ helped him a lot. And then LeBron comes along, and LeBron has done just about as amazing things. And, and you know, now who knows what's going to come the next with whether it's KD. I think Steph Curry has – one of the things Steph's done is he's changed the game again. You know, now it's, you know, taking, taking two or three bounces and shooting the three looks like an easy shot. And now everybody's doing it. And in MJ's day in the nineties, it was the pull-up game. It wasn't three. So I like those guys that kind of evolved the game and, you know, Steph may not be to the Kobe or the, or the LeBron area yet. Um, he is changing the game and you're seeing the, the game change a lot, especially from analytics. Talking here with head coach Steve Alford of the Nevada basketball team about Michael Jordan and more. We'll have more just after a quick break. Talk more about Michael and what he's been up to getting set for his second season with the Silver and Blue. More of NSN Daily coming up just after a quick break. Back here on NSN Daily with Julian Delgadio, Chris Murray, head coach Steve Alford. Uh, talking about Michael Jordan, the Last Dance documentary has been really sweeping. Uh, the country giving us some really entertaining uh, content and, and reliving, you know, one of the legends in all of sports, uh, not just basketball, but in sports in general, Michael Jordan. I wanted to ask you, when you get a chance to, to be with your kids and, and, and tell them about playing with Michael Jordan and playing against Michael Jordan, what kind of things do you hope to try and instill in them about the way he was and the way that they can go, out, go about their business? Yeah, they don't, they just, that's what's good about this documentary. That might help me a little bit because I'm old now and Mike's old now. So they just don't, they didn't grow up in that era. You know, their era has been Kobe and LeBron. That's been their era. So when all of a sudden you talk about Michael, they're like, yeah, yeah, we get it. And we love his shoes. <laughs> they love his shoes, but they really don't know him as a player. And that's why this documentary has been so much fun because I think once we get back on campus, it'll be like, Okay. Yeah. Now we kind of know who you're talking about. It's more than just a shoe line that most of these guys have, that we're coaching today grow up just wanting his shoes. They really didn't have the appreciation of just how great he was because he was, he was great in a really good era. The nineties were, uh, it was a very physical era. The rules were different. Uh, you know, you drove the basketball, you could get thrown into the second row and there not be a whistle called. I mean, it's a much, much different era than today's not that today's isn't physical the athletes today are bigger stronger faster uh it's a physical game now but how things are officiated now 2020 is a lot different than what it was in the 90s you making all your guys do a book report on it watch all 10 episodes and uh, get back to you i think they're going through finals now but maybe after that yeah we are in our last week and and chris we got enough to worry about with finals and getting <laughs> through a semester where i've had you know two and a half months of no contact so uh, once we get through this week, I know they're all watching it because um, I get I get little stuff back to them. You know, Zane Meeks wants to you know have a cute little text to me about the shorts back then and all that kind of stuff. So you know, it may be something where I need a report, but right now I got to I got to get these guys through finals first. Through that documentary, you know, there have been so many things that I think have come to light about Michael Jordan that I especially didn't know because I feel like I fell under that you know category where it was Kobe Bryant and then LeBron James. Was there anything that happened that popped up throughout it that, that you learned about him that you, you might not have known? I, I know two that stood out for me was that he decked Steve Kerr at one point in a practice. And the entire Isaiah Thomas beef, I had no idea that it was, uh, it was the level it was. 
Yeah, not so much of, of that kind of stuff, but I knew how competitive he was. And, you know, he said in the documentary that, you know, he wishes the Kerr thing wouldn't have, wouldn't have taken place. But the thing that I really got out of Mike in the documentary is they were talking about that in that episode. You know, he said, I never, he goes, I never made my teammates do anything that I wasn't doing first. And that's, you know, if you're the best and you're the greatest, you know, a lot of guys today that are, are great, they take practices off. Um, they let their teammates do the hard sprints. And, you know, they show Michael doing that one sprint. Who, who won the sprint? Michael. Um, you know, so nobody worked harder than he did. So he didn't ask them to do any more than what he wanted to do. And I, I, that's what I got out of it. And that's what I'll be sharing with my team that, you know, if the, and LeBron's the same way. Kobe was the same way. These guys were tireless workers at their trade. Yes, they were very gifted athletically. Like, I, I love when they go to Mike and he's in his uh, chair just sitting there and he does what I'm doing right now and his hands, like, go across <laughs> the screen. I mean, he's got the biggest hands that I'd ever seen on somebody six foot five and a half. Um, I've got a picture in my office. I always show recruits. And, you know, I show them. I said, I'm not showing you this to see that I was a Olympic teammate. I'm showing you. Look at the size of his hands. I mean, it's a, they don't fit a six five and a half guy. And, you know, so, it, yes, they have incredible skill, but these are guys that really worked on their skill. And I think Mike helped that. You know, Mike was the start of that. Uh, then it went to Kobe. And now you look at LeBron, you know, nobody's probably not just work ethic, but how to play the game. LeBron's basketball IQ is like, off the charts. And a lot of that just started with, okay, yeah, Mike had great athleticism, but his competitiveness and his drive to excel and get better, uh, that's something that was evident every year. Another thing you and Michael have in common is a love for the game of golf. Uh, did you guys ever get a chance? Have you ever played against him on the golf course uh, throughout well, your years? I, I want to now because you guys brought up, you know, uh, he bet me in the Olympics that uh, I wouldn't last four years with Coach Knight. He bet me $100. He goes, no way you last four years with Coach Knight. And I'm like, I'll bet that. Um, and so I won it. I haven't been paid that $100. And I, I just got to get back to him. I don't, I don't want his $100. I just want to be able to play on his new golf course in Florida. <laughs> so, so he's, he's off that hook. You don't have to pay the interest. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> but, um, you know, the cool thing for me was I was a 19 year old just coming out of my freshman year. And I remember going to my mailbox in the dorm. I'm living in a dorm, Reed dorm in Bloomington. And normally the only letters I got in that mailbox was from my mom. <laughs> and all of a sudden I got a letter from the Olympic committee. And in that letter was my invite to be one of 77 players invited to the Olympic trials. And so it's, it was different. A lot of people growing up today, they don't understand that because of the dream team stuff. It's like guys are just selected now. It's like a free agency. It's like they just go to the 12 best NBA guys and you're on the Olympic team. But back in the day when it was no pros, you actually had a tryout. And I can remember those tryouts being some of the most vicious competitions I've ever been involved in my life. And I was, I was pleased just to be invited. But then we started doing the practices and there's 77 of us in there. You know, people forget names that didn't make that Olympic team in 84, John Stockton, Carl Malone, Mark Price, Joe Dumars, uh, Roy Tarpley. I mean, Charles Barkley. I mean, there were some unbelievable players, Danny Manning, that didn't make that Olympic team that were at that trials. And I could remember even in the trials, there was a buzz every time Mike was playing because we had like four courts going on at once. 
and when Mike was playing, there was and there was no fans there. There was just the 77 guys in the building, and yet ever every one of those 77 knew when all of a sudden MJ was playing on a court near you or or by you, and you start glancing on that court versus paying attention to what what you're doing there. But as we started dwindling the team, and I continued to play well in the trials and we had an off day, which was funny because that was the first time I'd ever experienced three days because we went morning, early afternoon and evening. And then when we finally got a day off, um, Dan Dockage was going to go golfing and he was a grad assistant at the time at Indiana. And I said, Hey, I'll go out there with you. And Mike heard that. And so MJ then wanted to go with us. And we're like, yeah, come on out. And, he, I, I don't know if it was the very first time, but I think it was one of the very first times he ever picked up a golf club. And he was, like a lot of us, he was just addicted right away to the game to where now he just absolutely loves it. But I can remember that first time he picked up a golf club, his hands went around the club like three times. And now if you look at his grips on his clubs, they're like that big around uh, just because his hands are so big. But he kind of fell in love with the game and, or at least got a start of it. I know Davis Love was playing at Carolina during the time that he was at Carolina. But uh, the Olympics, he got a chance to play a couple times, and that got him going on golf as well. Any good when he first went out there? No, I don't want to. I don't want to say he got his logo because of his golf game. But but now, now he's legit. Now he's you know he knows how to play the game, and uh, he's been very good for a long time. Um, and now he, I, I don't, I don't want to play his course necessarily with him because I know <laughs> I know what stakes there'll be I, I know that oh we're playing this hole for this we're playing this hole for this I don't I don't want any of that but if he just kind of let me go out and play his course as a guest I'd like that but I don't see what, that happening with him what do you think the stakes are like when he plays how much what do you oh, think the stakes are I I wouldn't even be able to imagine that and he'll play eightsomes, ninesomes, tensomes, you know, he'll, you know, as many guys that he can get to play, I, I think, um, because he just loves the competition and he loves the, you know, it was funny. I saw Brooks Kepka interviewed where he talked smack to him on the 17th hole. And then all of a sudden he got Brooks and, um, and he's smart too with his betting, you know, he's not playing Brooks straight up obviously, but, um, he's just a really competitive, one of the most competitive people, uh, maybe the most competitive person I've ever been around. Coach, obviously, golf also back in the Silver State. You know, a couple of games in, have you been able to get back out there at all? And, uh, you know, would you give Michael a pretty good run for your money if, if you were to hypothetically bet? Oh, I wouldn't mind playing him if, if the Michael Jordan juices didn't start flowing, where it's like, like I said, that this hole or this putt's worth this. <laughs> There's just not – I'm not going down that path. I've worked too hard for 30 years that I'm not giving it all away on a golf course. But uh, So I don't want that. But just planning straight up, you know, I don't mind competing that way. But Mike's not going – Michael's not going to play in that kind of environment anyway. But, yeah, it's been great getting out. You know, I've been at, uh, you know, Hidden Valley. I've got to get over to Somerset because it's open now and it's close to me and Montrose back open again. And, uh, Hidden Valley's been open a while, and that's been fun to get out there. I took uh, Bryce and his wife, Allie, were in town, so I was able to take the family uh, over to Edgewood um, over the weekend and play there on their opening opening weekend, which was gorgeous. So uh, we have so much good golf right here in the area that uh, uh, it's, a lot, it's a lot of fun. 
Coach, we appreciate your time as always. Really uh, insightful stuff on Michael Jordan. That was really cool to get some of your stories. And uh, we look forward to catching up with you again soon. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. All right. Well, more of NSN Daily coming up just after a quick break. Along with our NSN Celebrity Beer Pong Challenge going on right now, we've got our GOAT Challenge that's happening. Uh, the greatest of all time, athletes, coaches, people involved in athletics from our area. An 8-9 matchup this time around, Chris. Kurt Snyder at an 8-seed against Lane Spina, a 9-seed. I think Lane might be at the disadvantage here just because of name recognition of Kurt. Yeah, most people probably don't know about Lane, but he is a Wooster High graduate. He actually graduated the same year as Tour de France winner Greg LeMond, and he won two Olympic medals. So there was an event called the Ski Ballet. It was basically like dancing on skis. It was kind of like figure skating, choreographed, about a two-minute routine. Uh, and he won a gold medal in, uh, or a silver medal in 1988 and a bronze in 1992. Uh, was a five-time national champion in that event, which was actually discontinued in 2000. But, um, you know, one of only five athletes from Northern Nevada to win uh, multiple Olympic gold medals. So he certainly deserved to be on. And then Kirk Snyder, uh, one of the best basketball players in Wolfpack history, obviously the best player on that Sweet 16 team in 2004. Didn't have the NBA career many expected, but uh, still definitely worthy of being on and probably will get by just based on that name recognition. Yeah, Alex, we talk about uh, in our sports office about the, the years that I got to cover those four teams going to the NCAA tournament. That first year, the engine was Kirk Snyder. Well, and then we've talked uh, to guys about, all right, who wins between uh, the Sweet 16 team in the mid-2000s versus the Sweet 16 team in 2018. Uh, everyone kind of points to Kirk Snyder as the difference maker. You know, when you look at those two matchups, you know, you talk to Nick Fazekas, he says, who's going to cover Nick Snyder? Or excuse me, who's going to cover Kirk Snyder? Right. Um, you know, an unbelievable uh, performance in a Wolfpack uniform uh, drafted in the first round of the NBA. And, and unfortunately, you know, things didn't pan out for him really much after that. Um, but, you know, certainly one of the most pure, talented players to ever step foot on the University of Nevada campus. Yeah, if you want to vote, just go to our website or go to uh, Nevada Sportsnet on social media. Be part of the conversation, part of the decision as number eight seed Kirk Snyder takes on number nine seed Lane Spina in our GOAT Challenge as it rolls on. Coming up next after the break, bet or no bet, do we like the Rams' new uniforms? And who's buying tickets to the Raiders in Vegas? We're going to break that down next. Welcome back to NSN Daily. It's Thursday. That means bet or no bet. Uh, guys, the Rams have a new stadium. They've got a new look. They've kind of gone back to those old school colors, Al. The logo's a little different. What do you think? I'll bet on on their new unis. I like them. I like the old school look. I like the, uh, you know, the the blue and the yellow and, and kind of going back to, to some original kind of tones and stuff. Uh, I, I'm not as big of a hater on the new uniforms as some. I, I actually kind of like them. Chris? I'd probably go no bet. I mean, it's not the, the best look, I think. I mean, I, I like the colors. I grew up kind of a bit of a Rams fan, because, you know, being from L.A. before they moved out to St. Louis. Um, I'm not sure that the logo is, is the best. Uh, so that's where I go no bet. But, you know, it's, it's uniforms. I don't, I don't really care too much, honestly. Just uh, I care a little bit more about how they play. Being an old school 49er fan, I love going back to the old school, old scheme colors so that the, the logo doesn't do anything for me. I remember when the Niners changed their 49ers logo back in the 90s and, and people flipped out about it. And I'm, I was one of them. So uh, I'm kind of half and half on it. Um, football fans in Vegas showing their support for uh, the new Las Vegas Raiders. Now, um, it's going to be tough to get a ticket to a home game because according to The Athletic, the Raiders have already sold out every single home game this season. Now, let's start with you, Chris. 
are these people that are excited about going to Raider games or are these people spending money to make money off of maybe a website where you can scalp tickets? Yeah, I mean, that could be a possibility. It certainly can pay to get tickets and uh, to resell them. I'm going to go just generally no bet that there's even going to be fans at NFL games this upcoming year. I don't think we're going to get to that point where people feel comfortable going out to games and where the NFL is going to let them in. So, uh, you know, it's really nice and, and very good that Las Vegas is supporting the Raiders, like just like they have the, uh, the Knights. Um, I just don't think you're going to be seeing full stadiums come September when football starts. Alex? I kind of see it as like maybe 70% is for second market and 30% maybe is, is for fans that want to attend every game. But yeah, I'm with Chris. I mean, the, the idea that we're going to see NFL football games with a full stadium, I just don't see it happening. Oh, and it's sad because the first year franchise has got, they've got a great home schedule. They're going to host the Saints and Drew Brees, the Bucks and Tom Brady and the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. And there's probably going to be nobody in the stands to see it. Coming up next year on NSN Daily, some final thoughts. We're, Talking a little exploring our backyard and sand mouth. That's next. <music> Wrapping things up here on NSN Daily on the Thursday. I want to thank Steve Alford for not just taking the time to do one segment, but to take time to do two segments and really give us some great insight into the history of the NBA and, uh, and Michael Jordan. Um, it'll be Julian Delgadio this afternoon taking on Keith Huch here at Urgoyen at uh, 7.30 and Corey Herzog. The uh, JDG matchup is at 4.30. Uh, Alex, exploring our backyard, anytime you get to go out to Sand Mountain, just driving, it's an awesome sight, but we've been able to get out there and ride around on it. Yeah, some awesome video from last year. You can go to our website, nevadasportsnet.com. There's that lifestyle tab at the top and, and check it out. Um, but, you know, I haven't been out there this year, but they did just reopen uh, Sand Mountain. The BLM announced on May 9th that it would be reopened to uh, recreation. It's an amazing place to go out there and take the ATVs, the UTVs, dirt bikes, a uh, great place to camp overnight. Really amazing site, such a unique part of our area. You know, you think of Tahoe and you think of the Truckee River and the mountains and the, and the, the evergreen side uh, of, of our area. But th this amazing place out in Sand Mountain, it's just something that's totally unique and uh, definitely worth the drive out, even if you just want to go out and walk around and go take some pictures. It's really cool. Certainly. That's the thing is when I was out there, I've, I've driven by it a number of times, but for us to get out there and just see how massive this thing is and and his local historians believe that it actually has migrated all the way across that basin because of the wind it's just amazing amazing to see i'll do it for us here on nsn daily i'm brian samudio for alex margulies and chris murray along with anthony resnick we'll see you on friday